So we embark today on something that you've been tired of me uh, talking about, and that is the Red Letter Challenge. And you might be asking, why the Red Letter Challenge? Well, I think it's important that we know that, first of all, that's a great question. Second of all, we need to know that red letters refer to many Bible translations that have the words of Jesus written in red. And that, the official first copy of that was in 1901. So if you think about it, it's a fairly new thing, 120 years or so in Christianity, that the red letters have been there. And it helps simplify for us what were the words of Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about GPS and navigation for a minute. And you might be going, what? What does that got to do with anything? How many of you, and I do want you to raise your hand, have used Google Maps or some type of navigation tool on your phone or something like Waze or something like that? Waze is interesting because it takes you all the weird ways to avoid traffic. And sometimes you, I went to, um, went to a San Francisco 49er game once and used Waze and it took me some places. I'm like, I don't think this is the right way at all. But we got there. I just had to floor it because you get through some parts of town occasionally. <laughs> Now, years ago, when I was a kid, navigation was this large folded map, right, that you could never put back together correctly. And what ensued was usually um, words between a, a mother and a father saying, hey, the map's upside down, and her saying, no, it's not, and, you know, finally, you know, getting in the way. Um, and then trying to fold it back up, and I don't know, most, most people, I have a really difficult time folding those things back up. I'm so glad that technology has intervened. Now, I enjoy technology. However, there's been many times I've been driving using Google Maps or Waze or something, and inevitably I hear recalculating or rerouting, which means I missed something. And I gotta do a U-turn or take a right at the next block or a left and get back to where I'm going. Now, how many though, there are these times, have used navigation and arrived at like a vacant place or an empty lot? Um, there's a couple times I've taken it and I'm like, either I inputted it wrong or something's messed up. Now, it's getting better. You know, I know the government's getting better at tracking us, so navigation's getting better. Oh, sorry. But correct destinations are important to arrive at our intended destinations. We need those tr correct directions, right? We need to know how to get to where we're going. I would also like to mention that there is confidence in where you are going and the route you are taking increases the joy of the journey. So if you know that you're on the right track and you know you're going to get there, you're not worrying about listening. Like, like I'll have it playing, the, the, you know, what we'll music playing, and I'll have the navigation on. And Laura and I will be talking. And so I had to tell her, hey, if you hear the lady talking, please stop because I, I don't want to miss something. Um, because, you know, she'll interrupt us, and it helps me. But when I know I can hear those instructions, and I know that I'm going to go somewhere, we can have a good time. And, you know, I'm not worried about where we're going. Rerouting, though, causes stress, frustration, and a great deal of anxiety. You know, immediately, did I put the address in right? Do I, which turn do I take? I'm not sure I even know where I'm going. Am I even in the right city? I mean, usually I'm in the right city, but... But it just starts, I don't know, when, I, when it says recalculating, I get stressed out. Uh, I don't like these changes in my plan. Now you might think, well, how does this relate to the Red Letter Challenge? It has everything to do with the Red Letter Challenge because Jesus gives us words of direction. There are many people, now, okay, when I was studying this, I've been sharing with, with Alex uh, earlier this week, that I hate 
sermons that feel a lot like burden and just all law. And I, I don't want us to come out of this today thinking, oh man, i got to do a lot of stuff. What I want us to come out of this is, wow, Jesus is speaking to us. He's giving us a way that we can live in community together and encourage one another and go forward because, I mean, come on. When you receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, wasn't one of your responses, what do I have to do now? This is great. I get to do stuff. God has created us to do stuff. And we know in Ephesians chapter 2, he's prepared works for us to do in advance. And it's not rocket science, or like I used to say, rocket surgery and brain science. Okay. <laughs> is, that, is that he's given us clear direction. We just need to read it, and we need to ask for help to follow it. There are many people who claim belief in Jesus Christ, yet struggle understanding what to do with what Jesus has said. That classifies me at times. I'm still struggling with some things that he says. I'm like, well, I don't know how I feel about that. And, and Jesus, in his loving way, is sarcastic with me. He says, I don't really care how you feel about it. Are you going to do it? Right? And that's how he speaks to me. That's my love language. So if you want to be, if you want to love me, speak sarcastically and we'll get along great. Right? <laughs> We love the idea of Jesus being our friend, right? We even, we even saying that. What a friend we have in Jesus. I love that. And he absolutely is our friend. And we can take things to him in prayer. And we can leave it with him. But we wrestle with the idea of Jesus being <coughs> Lord. I, I like the warm, fuzzy friend. I like the little baby Jesus. I like the suffering Savior because that gives me access to him. But for him to have dominion over my life, it flies in the face of our natural being. It flies in the face of, of who we are as sinners. But we're saints, right? We're, we're, we're saints who really sin still. We still wrestle with it. If we claim Jesus as our Savior, it indicates something. If I say Jesus is my Savior, it means that I am his follower. And so when we look at disciples of Christ, it's a follower of Jesus. And if we're going to follow somebody, we need to know where he's going. We should listen then to what he says and do, oh, that word do, what he tells us to do. The words of Jesus, the words in red in many translations, give us our directions and will give us more joy in the journey. How many of you want more joy in your life? I mean, I do. Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting, a church that I, I went to for a while, uh, the pastor would always say, we want you to be happier today than you were yesterday. And I'm like, well, there's some seasons that you're not happier. But it doesn't mean that our joy can't increase. In fact, sometimes I think we find a better definition of joy when we're going through something. And we feel that refreshing of, of, of the Lord when the Holy Spirit reveals through his word, hey, I got you. I'm working this out for you. And there's a joy, as the old hymn says, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. The half has never yet been told. There's a peace that passes understanding, right? I don't know what's going on in my life, but Jesus says this and I receive it. And there's joy. We want to have more joy in the journey. Unfortunately, the reputation of Jesus followers is not necessarily a positive one. I, I've said this before about social media. Most people know what Christians are against and not who they're for. Too often, Jesus followers are seen as negative and against everyone. Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons conducted three years of interviews with young Americans about seven, eight, eight years ago. These young Americans were not churchgoers, and they were trying to discover what young Americans' view of Christians were. They interviewed millions of young people and discovered that these young people see Jesus' followers as judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual, too political, old-fashioned, out-of-touch, 
insensitive, and boring. How many of you say, oh, sign me up for that. That's what I want to be known as. <laughs> now, I can understand that the media paints Christians to be this way, and so maybe it's not a total fair assessment because there is a battle that we're in, right, um, of who the followers of Jesus truly are. I mean, after all, look at all the foreign missions that we support. Look at all the good work we've done around the world. Usually when there's a hurricane or some sort of natural disaster, Christian organizations are the first ones to respond and to spearhead these efforts. And so we might say, well, you know, these young people must just be swallowing the lie of liberal media and what they're saying, bent on eradicating God from our society. How many of you view the liberal media like that? They just want to remove God completely. Sadly, these definitions created by hostile press characterizations of Christians being bigoted, judgmental, homophobic, and out of touch, they've stuck. In fact, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes you're like, man, I, I want to have a relationship with somebody to try to teach them about Jesus, but if I tell them that I'm a Christian, they're automatically putting up a wall. And so it makes it a little bit difficult for us at times. But I still believe that everybody wants to be at peace with God to their core. We must understand that we cannot blame media only. Because over half of the young people that were part of this study said that it has been personal interactions with Jesus followers that have made them conclude that Christianity is full of hypocritical, old-fashioned, and boring people. This kind of angers me. Ultimately, it really saddens me. frustrates me a little bit. But I need to step back and I need to try and understand why this is the conclusion of so many. I mean, after all, it's not the Crusades, right? We're not killing people for not being Christians, so we're better than that, right? The answer lies in how well people know what Jesus has said and how well they follow what he has said. Unfortunately, we often find ourselves missing the target. We talked about that, and we'll talk about that in our groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sunday morning this morning. Because we are aiming for the wrong thing. Now again, it's not my intention of these next 40 days to make us feel burdened, but hopefully it will rejuvenate our understanding of who Jesus is and is how we get to be because of what he has said. We can begin to change the perception of Jesus followers, followers in our sphere of influence. Now the study that I mentioned about the young people tells us that many reject Christianity because they feel like Jesus has rejected them. Because that's what they feel from Christians is that Jesus doesn't want you because you're a sinner, right? Which is exactly the opposite. The fact that we are broken, we are sinners, and if we take a moment to honestly reflect on how we are doing at representing Jesus, all of us should come to the conclusion that I and we haven't always represented Christ that well. I would venture to say no one will raise their hand and say, yo, I've always perfectly represented Christ. You're not going to do that because you know. You know you've, you've missed the target sometimes. In 2004, Athen Olympics, maybe some of you watched it. I remember watching it. I didn't watch this event. But there was a sharpshooter named Matthew Emmons. Matthew Emmons was by far the best rifle shooter in the world. In fact, most people said that, it was, that he might be the best that's ever lived. And it wasn't about at the Olympics who was going to win the gold. It was the competition for, for silver and bronze because they knew he was going to take it. Everyone knew he was going to take home that gold. Now, interesting thing about rifle shooters is that they fire between their heartbeats. And so what they do is they try these breathing exercises to slow their heartbeats down so that they can 
I mean, that's, I tried to, after I was reading the story, I'm like, okay, can I, am I that in tune to know when my heart's really beating? You have to be really still and really quiet. But this game, this sharpshooting game, is a, is a game that's won and lost by millimeters. Going into his final shot, Emmons was in first place by a long shot, as you would expect. His previous nine shots were, his lowest one was 9.3, which is really good, by the way. All he needed to do was hit the target. All he needed to do was hit the target, and he would win. So with one bullet left, his tenth shot, he needed a score of 7.2, which was basically hitting the target anywhere, and he would win his second medal of, of, the, goal, of the Olympics, his second gold medal. He carefully took aim, listened to that heartbeat, fired, and sure enough, bullseye. He did it, except for one small fact. He actually shot the wrong target. He did what's called a crossfire. He was, he was just breathing, and he looked at the wrong target through his scope. This was his reaction. Oh, no, it's not. What happened to it? Did I keep pushing these buttons? There we go. This was his reaction. Like, what? And I was looking at this, and I'm going, you know, there's a lot of times when, when I've missed the mark, and, and God, in his gentle way, says, hey, yeah, that wasn't quite right. And I'm like, what? What do you mean I missed, right? This was his reaction. Afterwards, in a press conference, he said he felt great going into his last shot. He said he was more concerned with calming himself down rather than looking at his target. And he went from first place to eighth and didn't even get a medal. So why do I bring up Matthew Emmons? Well, he was literally the greatest shooter in the world. But if you don't know what you are shooting for, it doesn't really matter. If you shoot at or focus at the wrong thing, you'll never hit the thing that needs to be hit. I've had moments in my life where I thought I had what it takes to live this life. Maybe you have too, but I was drifting from the heart of God. The revealed heart of God is revealed in the life and words of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I needed to reroute Take a U-turn. And my reaction was similar. What? But remember earlier I talked about when we're doing navigation that when we have to reroute, it causes anxiety and frustration. What's so wonderful about when the Lord says, hey, we need to reroute a little bit here? He's like, hey, let me help you. In fact, I can, I can just put you back on track. The stress is not on you. I forgive you for looking the wrong way, for aiming for the wrong thing. And so I can go, ah. Oh, much better than natural <laughs> navigation. As Christians, we can have the best intentions in the world, but if we are succeeding at things that don't actually matter in our faith, then we can do more harm than good. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the times the ideas that people have about Christians isn't because these Christians aren't trying to do good. It's just they're, they're, not, they're aiming at the wrong target. In fact, I would warn us to be careful about those people maybe in Christianity that have hurt you a little bit or some of those religious systems that, that maybe still do hold Jesus as their Savior, but they've done some things. You know, we, we need to be careful because I believe that those who earnestly are trying to do what God wants them to do, they'll, they're still people. They'll make some mistakes. It's okay. It's when, we, it's when it's revealed to us that they're intentionally harming others, then it's a whole different game, right? 
If the targets we are hitting, though, as Christians, are judgmental, divisive, hypocrisy, bigotry, racism, and out of touch, old-fashioned, and boring, then clearly we are not aiming at the targets that Jesus set out for us. We may be shooting at the wrong targets. Not anybody here, because we've got it together, right? So. And there is so much noise out there, though, to contend with. How many of you have been along, uh, alive longer than 10 or 15 years? Some of you a little longer than that, right? Has our world gotten noisier and crazier and busier and just out of control? You know, it's interesting. MySpace was a big thing, if any of you remember those. MySpace is nothing now. Then I thought Facebook was a big thing. The kids don't want Facebook anymore because all their parents are on Facebook. And so they're always looking for the next thing, the next app, the next thing that, that only gives them, a, and then they're, they're expecting that's got a short shelf life, maybe a year, maybe eight months, and then there's something new coming out. It's just crazy distracted. Even in our faith, there are so many answers for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, I could probably take a poll from each one of you here and says, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I might get some different answers. So how do we know what to trust and what to do? Even people that have been in the faith for decades will struggle with practically knowing what it means to follow Jesus on a daily basis. If you're still breathing, you're having some challenges. <laughs> and so how do we fix the problem? How do we know what to aim for? The Red Letter Challenge is a 40-day adventure that focuses on the main themes that Jesus spoke about. Remember, we read in the Gospel today that Jesus said, a wise man will build his house upon the rock. And that means that he's listened to the words and he does what I say. The foolish man listens and doesn't do what I say. And there's no foundation there for him. Now, it sounds simple, right? I mean, we can sing the little kid's song. Wise man built his house upon the rock. You guys know this one, right? Okay, we're not, I'm not going to make you sing it. But we know this, but it's, it's a simple truth. It's a basic truth. Yet, we're like, well, you know, how we, we become architects. How do we want to build this thing? Instead of going, well, how did Jesus build it? There are five themes that we'll be talking about. So you see, but there are being forgiven forgiving, serving, giving, and going. Most of what Jesus said in the red letters can be filtered through one of these five categories. Not all of it, but most of it. These are the main themes that he talked about. We will be daily growing together and gain a greater understanding of what Jesus proclaimed and has asked us to be part of. So there are a couple things that I would ask of you all. The first is that you would ask God to help you in this challenge. We cannot accomplish this challenge by simply willing it to happen. And sometimes I even, I, I struggle with the word challenge. Life's hard enough. Do I want a challenge in church? Come on now, right? But if we're Christians, we're walking in a day, daily challenge. That's just the way it is. We are in desperate need, though, of God to help us and to give us the strength to wrestle with some of the difficult ideas that will come up. It'll be different for each person, but he's... We're going to come across some passages in Scripture. You go, yeah, I haven't really totally aligned myself with that one. The second thing I'd ask of you is that you would plug in and participate. Plug in and participate. We have Sunday mornings at 9. We have Tuesdays at 6.30. Thursdays at 6.30 at Lara's in my house. By the way, when you get to our house, it's upstairs. Sorry. <clears throat> but no one wants to live below anybody. So, anyway, it's upstairs. Sorry for your basement dwellers. Um, Anyway, but growing together, God didn't intend for us to be on this journey alone. He wants us to grow together, so plug into those things. 
Maybe taking a prayer and watch card, which you might see in the pew in front of you. You know, this was, I'm praying and watching an expectation for God to move in the lives of these people. It's a bit evangelistic. I want to pray for my neighbors, my barista, my coworker, people who don't know Jesus. But maybe we need to take these and pray for one another and say, hey, you know, I would like to see God move in this person's life. I love them dearly and I want them to grow and I want to grow along with them. I would also like to ask that you make an appeal to someone who might be on the fence. Maybe you guys have had a little discussion about this red letter challenge. Like, ah, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, I'm a guy, obviously. But a lot of times I'm like, dude, it's 40 days. Come on, 40 days. And then for me, it's like, well, go on a diet for 40 days. How, how long does that last, right? You know, and so there is struggle. It's real. But I would ask you to encourage somebody who might be going, hey, what's it about? It might be, hey, you went to a, this week to one of the studies. And you, and you could tell that friend, hey, it's okay. It's safe. You know, let's do this together. Anytime that you see somebody or talk to somebody over the next six weeks, bring them along. I would ask that you would plug, plug in to those 40 days. Come see what Jesus is really about and how growing together with others is the greatest adventure filled with an immense amount of joy. And again, all of you said you want more joy. So this is one way that we're practically helping one another. Now, I never want anyone to think that if they receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus gives, that that will give them a carefree life. But I do want everyone to know that I would rather endure hard times with the hope of Jesus than without. With Jesus, we are brought into the beautiful family of God. Did you know you're beautiful? Beautiful family of God. You're all his works of art, his masterpieces. Though at times it's dysfunctional, right? Because we are all still struggling with sin, but we have been declared saints. Our hope is secure, and we have the opportunity to not only change how we understand Jesus, but to influence others to see Jesus as loving, receiving, caring, kind, joyful, fun, relevant, and exciting. As we dive into the next 40 days, may we ask God to reveal his character and his nature to us. May we ask God that we might best respond to what he is saying through the power of his spirit. And may we always know that God desires to bring us hope, comfort, joy, and peace through his word. So let's just take a moment now and respond in just a moment of silence. Because I believe there's some challenging things that we have said. And that you would ask God to help you respond through the power of his spirit.